Welcome to the Nopal Queens podcast. This is your chingona, La Sirena, a licensed clinician and higher education professional. Hola, and I'm La Estrella, and I'm a first-gen financial inclusion and brand marketing leader and badass queen. And here at Nopal Queens, we serve up real conversations about mental health and wellness from the Latinx perspective. Come on in, familia. Están en su casa. Hola, gente. Welcome back to Nopal Queens Podcast, Season 2, Episode 9. I'm your host, La Estrella, and I'm here today with my wonderful co-host, La Sirena. Hola. Hola. And our special guest joining us today, Nancy Diaz. So Nancy is a trauma-informed therapist who specializes in working with women of color who are daughters of immigrants. Nancy has a master's degree in social work and is a first-generation college graduate who is passionate about helping women who want to start their healing journey. Hola, Nancy. Thank you for joining us. How are you? Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's so good to be here. Yes, we're so happy to have you. And even just the snippets I read, I'm like so excited to talk with you today and just hear about your journey. It's going to be a great conversation. Awesome. Well, let's get into it. Um, First question I have for you, Nancy, is tell us a little bit about yourself and what led you to your career in trauma-informed therapy. Yeah, sure. So like I said, I'm a first-generation college student. And what that means for anyone who's listening, because I've made this mistake before that people are like, what does that mean? Oh, it means that I was the first person in my family to go to college, uh, first person in my family to get a master's degree. Um, But yeah, I actually fell into this kind of by accident. I was really uh, struggling with burnout after my bachelor's degree, but actually a tragedy in the family um, kind of made me want to continue. My uncle actually passed away from cancer. And as you know, in Latinx families, even if it's an extended family member, it it hits hard. And so I remember that my mom had been excited for the longest time to throw me a graduation party. And because my uncle was battling cancer at that time, when I graduated with my bachelor's, she was really struggling because of course, she said, we can't throw a party, we can't celebrate. This is a huge achievement for you. You're the first one, but we can't throw you a big party like we want to. And so I hadn't really been thinking about a master's at all. I just, I was so tired. I was exhausted. Um, But then that happened and I just, I could see that she was so sad. And I thought, well, it's just another two years to do a master's, right? And because you know this, like, don't we always want to give the most for immigrant parents who sacrifice so much, right? I felt like she had been robbed of that. So it was that. And then also I had just gotten a job at um, Arizona State University. And so I knew that if I actually did a master's, it could be paid for. And so those two things just kind of fell into place. And I started the job. And the very next day was the deadline to apply for grad school. And so I just kind of randomly thought, you know, I've always been interested in social work. And I know that it's not a career that makes a lot of money, but I love helping people. And you know what? 
I'm just I'm just going to give it a go and, and just do that. I really have no time to look into other programs, so I'll just go with that. And then I showed up to the first day of class and I was, you know, the instructor was talking about being a therapist and I was like, oh my God, is this what I signed up for? Am I going to be a therapist? <laughs> <laughs> and I had no idea. Uh. I had no, everyone else knew what they were signing up for. I had no idea. Yeah, it all happened so fast um, because I also, I graduated and then I had to do an internship to finish up. And then, and then I started the job. And so literally there was no break in between. And so there was no time for me to, to have a break, to have rest, to think about next moves, nothing. It all just happened so quickly. And then boom, I was sitting in the classroom and I was like, Oh, well, I'm going to be a therapist. Well, there you go. <laughs> but I think, yeah. um, I love that instructor. And as the, as that class went on, I was like, you know what? I could actually see like how I could help, you know, my community doing this. And the good thing with, you know, master's in social work, for those who don't know, is that you can do so much. So, yes, we have training to become therapists, but we also have this different kind of lens where we see things not just from what happens in your mind and with your mental health, but also other systems that impact it. So how someone in poverty, you know, might be struggling with their mental health, not just because of their negative thoughts that are causing depression, all these things. But, you know, because their basic needs are not being met and, you know, does systemic racism play into it and all of these things. So I honestly like I went through that program and I loved it. And I was just, you know, engrossed in every single one of my classes and just really loving the discussions that we were having. And so, yeah, so I stuck with it. I really fell into it by accident. <laughs> Literally fell into it, it by accident. Like it was meant to be, though. It yeah. was meant to be for sure. Yeah. So yeah, and it has opened up so many doors for me. And so yeah, now here I am. You know, I decided to start a private practice two years ago, and now I've decided that I really want to be able to kind of niche down and work with you know my community and other you know daughters of immigrants because there's not I don't really know of any other therapists who say like I work with daughters of immigrants you know and that was my thing you know when I was trying to decide like who do I want to work with um I thought well there's so many um definitely not enough right but there's so much help so much more help for immigrants and yet for the adult children of immigrants we've kind of been left out of the conversation for so long. And I, I did a post about this not too long ago because I said, it's only in recent years that I've even heard the term, you know, children of immigrants that were even in this conversation. So I just thought like, this is so needed. And you know what, like, this is, this is what I'm going to be about. And I'm going to work with daughters of immigrants. Anyone else comes my way and they think that we're a good fit for other reasons. And I will take them on, especially if it's someone from a marginalized community, um, someone who's going to struggle to find a therapist who's a good fit. I will take them on. But I did say like, my spots, first and foremost, are going to go to daughters of immigrants because there's, there's definitely not enough people doing this. So yes, wow. so that was a long-winded answer. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love it. Um, I wanted to ask, what kind of themes are you seeing with the mother-daughter relationships when you're working with daughters of immigrants? Oh, that's an interesting one. Um, well, I'm seeing a whole lot of different themes, but pretty much a lot of parent-pleasing. That's That's what I see the most is that you know, there's so much, it's a complicated relationship. And I think, you know, often 
our immigrant mothers have so much trauma and they have had to deal with so much in their own lives that they, you know, have really these high expectations of of their daughters and of their children in general. But I think especially gender plays a big role in this conversation because daughters usually have a, a lot of burden and especially, you know, I'm the eldest of four. And it's all girls in my family. So I think there was even more of that burden. And I see that with my clients as well, that, you know, their their expectations are so high. And so daughters, you know, they want to be there for them. And they know that their their mothers have sacrificed a lot for them. And so they want to do anything they can to please them. And so they might end up in careers that they don't like because they want to please them, might end up marrying people that they don't really want to marry. You know, they might just end up putting their their passions to the side and and doing everything to to please their parents especially their mothers so yeah it's it's difficult i think a lot of my clients i'd say almost actually i'm going to say all of them struggle with boundary setting and yeah. and that's that's a big reason that's um a big reason that they come to therapy they might not come to me and say i'm cu- i'm here to work on boundaries but as we kind of start going into it and start diving into the the generational trauma and how they might end up in even abusive relationships and things like that and we start to realize oh there's a lot of that people pleasing a lot of that parent pleasing you know and uh yeah So that's one of the things that I see quite often. Something that goes along with that, like as you're bringing up like people pleasing is like the worthiness, sense of worthiness. So do you see a lot of daughters of immigrants maybe experience like a lack of sense of worth or, or what have you seen around that? Yeah, yeah. I talk quite a bit about that low self esteem and that low self esteem that comes from trauma, whether it's you know, trauma that you've experienced in your own life, or it's generational trauma. Because as daughters of immigrants, we all have that generational trauma, and we're holding on to a lot from everything that our parents have been through, because we can feel that. Oftentimes, it's it's kind of like blaring, like right at us, like when we take a step back and reflect, you know, like I had to, you know, interpret and translate for my parents since a very young age. And because I was the oldest, that responsibility always fell to me. And so, I mean, that, that right there, right? Like that, now I'm realizing like that, that's pretty heavy. And so now having to unpack that and heal from that and, you know, and of course we don't want to, you know, blame our parents for any of this. And I think, yeah, there's a lot of that guilt as well. We don't want to go to therapy. We don't want to say, you know, that our parents caused us this harm because we want to be grateful for their sacrifices. But what I always tell my clients is that we can, you know, two two things can be true at the same time. We can be very grateful for all of their sacrifices and we can still acknowledge that they may have knowingly or unknowingly caused us harm. Sometimes, you know, I do have clients who they're, they have narcissist parents or whatever it is, but you know, maybe they've caused them harm intentionally, unfortunately. And, but sometimes it's just that our parents are dealing with so much of their own trauma and it's not that they want to cause us harm and they might not know that they've caused us harm. They've caused us this pain and this trauma and that now we have to heal from it. But it's just the way that things have been going. I mean, the historical yeah. trauma as well, what our people have been through historically that's affected us and it's just been passed down through generations. Yeah, that's that's really true. You had a really good point, Nancy, about boundary setting. I feel like in our cultura, 
um, is is something that you just don't do, right? They're like, what boundaries? Yeah, <laughs> you know, there's no such right thing as personal right. space, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I just laughed like, <laughs> personal space. <laughs> they open our mail. They just come into our rooms. They read our diaries. Just no no boundaries yeah. whatsoever. It's just always out in the open. Yeah. And that's, that's you know, the culture. It's just community. And yeah, everyone doing everything for everyone else and especially for women, I think. Mm -hmm. I see that quite often that we just help everyone except ourselves. And I was talking about this on an IG Live the other day about how this is why I think a lot of us struggle even with um, coming to therapy, but then committing to therapy. I mean, I just I've lost track Mm -hmm. of how many clients have said to me like, I can't come to our session next week because I'm giving this deal a ride to the airport or whatever it is, you know, like, you know, I had one client cancel to me, you know, I have to help my little siblings uh, decorate the Christmas tree because my parents are working and I want to be there for them because this is an important tradition. You know, it's always, we're always putting everyone else before ourselves, always doing the most to help other people. And especially as women, we just, yeah, we have that, that nurturing role and we want to help our own parents, our own siblings, and then the tios and the tias and the primos. And we just, all of a sudden we're so overextended and we just don't even know how to set that ultimate boundary and choose self-care first and choose our own mental health and our own needs first. So, so that, that brings me to a, a question I have for you then, Nancy, being that you, this is your career, right? You're trained in this field. Um, how is it that you have managed your mental health, right? Through your journey and then, you know, the relationship with your mom or maybe, you know, setting boundaries with, with your parents or family members, or your sisters, like, is that something that you've learned since um, becoming a a therapist yourself? Or had you already kind of started working on that healing journey before that? You know, I started working on my own healing journey after becoming a therapist, because I realized like, okay, Mm -hmm. now I have my own healing, but I have also to heal from the the client work as well. Um, Mm -hmm. And you know, I was talking about this as well recently because I thought I probably could have afforded therapy when I was in college. I mean, there were some days where I really didn't know how I was going to put food on the table. But at the same time, I did not have a healthy relationship with self-care at all when I was in college. Mm-hmm. Be- and I'm realizing yeah. now after some reflection mm-hmm. that it was because self-care and rest were never modeled for me and they were definitely not encouraged, you know. And so I talked mm-hmm. about this in one of my own podcast episodes. Um about how reading, even mm-hmm. me reading, was seen as as lazy, you know? And my mm-hmm. parents would often be like, why don't yeah. you get up and, and clean the house or do something productive? And on one level, they did understand. And I, I like, even, re- like, remember hearing these, this conversation between them two of, like, well, you know, it's probably good that she's reading because, you know, she's going to be a, a doctora or she's going to be a, a lawyer, whatever. <laughs> like, she, she needs to read. It's good for her. But on the other hand, they like were, I think they were productivity. just, yeah, they all, on the other hand, they were like, she's just sitting there, you know, and, and she should be doing something else, you know? And so sometimes, yeah. you know, I would get those comments of like, okay, you've read for a few hours, come and clean the house, you know, <laughs> when really all I wanted to do was sit and read my book. Um, so yeah, I think I had like that unhealthy relationship with self-care through college where I probably like now thinking back on it, I think, well, 
I could have afforded therapy if I had looked at self-care differently and had seen therapy as an investment rather than like, oh, that's that's for rich people. That's what I thought like when I was in college, because yeah. you're so broke, you're trying to make ends meet and you're just trying to make it through to the very end. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, but I just think like, how, but how much money did I spend every weekend just going out to dinner with friends, going out for drinks? You know, like you, you buy yeah. five drinks and all of a sudden that's 50 bucks. You go out to dinner, it's another 50 bucks, you know, mm. and that's that's yeah. every every weekend. And maybe that's Friday, Saturday, but then you also have Sunday. All of a sudden you're like, oh, wow, mm. OK, I did spend a lot of money on that. Instead, maybe if I cut back a, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I could have gone once a month or even like once a week if mm. I just like didn't go out drinking one night. You know, yeah. and so I think yeah. we I have to. If I was that disciplined. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I definitely was not so, back then. But I now thinking I about I it, I'm like, man, yeah. if you actually look at it and you look mm-hmm. at self care differently, and you think about it as not being something like superficial, something that's going to help you in that in that moment, mm-hmm. but something, let me do something that's going to help me in the long term. You know, and something yeah. that's going to nourish me and replenish me then that's when, you know, we kind of start to say, okay, well, maybe I'm not having the right kind of self-care right now, because maybe that's Mm -hmm. why I'm still tired and stressed and burned out, even though I'm going and getting my nails done, and I'm going out to dinner and, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I'm still like coming back at the end of the week, like, okay, I'm still really tired, like I must be doing something wrong. Maybe I need to get my hair done this week, as on top of getting my nails done, you know, like, I think that we just have this warped mm-hmm. idea of self-care because it's been so commercialized. And that's why I wanted to kind of host a, a workshop yeah. on yeah. self-care. I'm calling it soul care versus self-care mm-hmm. because I just think, okay, enough with self-care. It's become such a buzzword. It's yeah, so commercialized. Yeah. And so I said, let's call it soul care yeah. because it, it needs to be something that's actually going to replenish you. For me, it's nature. So for mm-hmm. me, that's been a big part of my healing journey. I think when I moved to Australia three years ago, all of a sudden I was able to go on nature walks all the time. And also just, you know, mm. when I when I quit my job and moved to Australia three and a half years ago, I was like, okay, I, I need to take a break from the helping profession completely. I'm not going to work as a social worker, mm-hmm. as a therapist, as nothing. I oh, need to take okay. a break. And so that, that for me mm-hmm. was huge. And because the wages are so high here, I, I could work, you know, in childcare. What did I do? I did waitressing. I, I worked in an orange mm-hmm. factory. I did all everything that was oh, so wow. unrelated. Yeah. yeah, I did everything mm-hmm. that was unrelated. And that was part but of my own healing journey. it was the mental journey. health break you needed. Yeah, right? that was the break that I needed. Yeah, and so mm-hmm. for me, that was huge because I just thought, Okay, so now I'm doing something totally different. My, I need a break from helping people. I've helped people like all my life. You know, I helped my parents when, when I was young, from a really young age, I was always helping them. And then when I was in college, mm-hmm. I, you know, and then that was the thing too. Like I thought I was being selfish in college because I was, you know, studying and, and doing something for myself. But at the same time, mm-hmm. like I got a master's degree for my mom. <laughs> You know, and so it's like you're always not really yeah. doing something just for yourself. You're always doing it for other people, for your family, for your community. You know, I think being the eldest daughter as well, I just had that pressure of like, I have to get that degree because I have three younger sisters who are looking up to me. And if I fail and I don't graduate, what kind of message does that send? And my mom like would drill it into me from such a young age, like you're a role model, you're a role model. 
you always have to do the right no thing. Pressure. Oh, yeah. No That's pressure. No pressure. A lot of pressure. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that is a lot hard. to take on for a young, you know, um, adolescent Latina, <laughs> which <laughs> most, you know, of the old, like the oldest, eldest daughters in, in Latino families, I think that's the big burden that they take on, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I I feel like you hit a really good point um, around not knowing like that self-care was a thing or like to do therapy during college, but there are a lot of resources, right, for first-generation college students, but the thing is that we don't know about these resources, right? Like yeah. going to the, the, the campus health center and taking advantage of the the free therapy sessions there or the, the clinic, the free clinic for students. But those are things that, you know, as a first generation college student, you, you may not know about, you know, no so idea. how are you going to, how are you going to learn about them and be able to do them? And, you know, you were thinking, yeah. Oh my God, it's like, I have to be rich to be yeah. able to go to therapy, exactly. you know? Exactly. Yeah. We don't know about them. And then I also want to mention like, even after we know about them, cause then, I, I'm pretty sure like ASU probably had some kind of program for first generation students. Actually, now since graduating, I've looked into it and they have one now. So I'm pretty sure it existed back then when I was there. I didn't know about it. No one told me about it. I had no idea. But I think even if I had known about it, to be honest, there would have been no way that I could have like actually taken advantage of it because I was working full time. I was usually doing 18 credit hours a semester. That's that's mm-hmm. an insane amount. No one tells you that if you want to graduate with the bachelor's in four years, that you literally have to kill yourself and take 18 credit hours and do mm-hmm. summer classes and yeah. all of these things. Graduated in four years. Like now looking back, I'm like, I was insane. I was absolutely <laughs> insane. <laughs> I never had any break, never mm-hmm. had time for anything. Yeah. And so I was literally, that's you know, rushing from my job to my class. And that little break, that was me sitting in traffic, like trying to be healthy, eat a salad that was sitting next to me in the passenger seat. <laughs> that that was my life for like six years, you know, just always rushing from school back to work, back to class. Like it was just, it was madness. It was absolute chaos. And so I think also we have to acknowledge like, yeah, if our parents don't really have the resources to help us out, then there might be resources at the college, but we we might not even have time to take advantage of them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's a crazy struggle. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. I remember thinking, like, because I it's I took me five years to graduate with my undergrad, and I remember thinking like, oh, you know, that's like four years is what people. I used to be embarrassed to say it took me five years, and I'm like, there is no way, you know, there's no way I could have mm-hmm. graduated in four years. It just to your point, yeah. like. I I just feel like it just wouldn't have been doable. Yes, because people do it, right? You did it, but mm-hmm. so hard, and and so hard. it's probably such a, a a negative impact on your mental health because yeah. you're pushing yourself so much and not 100%. giving yourself the chance to have those breaks. You know? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. That's and I hate that there's true. this thought of you know you, you should graduate in four years because if there hadn't been mm-hmm. that, then. I would have been like, oh, but I think it wasn't until later at some point that I learned that the average American gets mm-hmm. their bachelor's degree in six years. And by that point, I was like, well, well, good for me for getting it in four years. I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> but at some point I did realize like this is not 
this isn't what everyone is doing. Like not everyone is killing themselves, like taking summer classes and doing, I said, so this is, I can definitely see that most people don't finish in four years because I'm one of few crazies who's taking this many classes. (laughs) But yeah, that's why I say like I graduated a puro panzazo, like just belly flopped, (laughs) like literally, like I love that expression because I was like, that's how I felt. I was so, so burned out. (laughs) like I'm just so true done I'm tired <laughs> I remember those feelings yeah, yeah. <laughs> at the end yeah. of the yeah. four years I was like just oh my gosh yeah I couldn't yeah. enjoy the end it was just a burnout no mm-hmm. can't really enjoy the end I think I just wanted to sleep mm-hmm. for forever and so that's why yeah I think yeah. <laughs> three months after graduating I just moved like halfway across mm-hmm. the world like okay I'm done with this <laughs> <laughs> just done with this I don't want to start a job where I'm back in that, that hustle oh, no yeah I love the liberation that you had when you just like did things that didn't have to do with your career uh, because yeah. those were equally valuable to your life and to you as a person mm-hmm. I yeah. feel like yeah even and you know what not, I like, kind of not always work yeah I kind of mm-hmm. wanted to walk in my parents footsteps in a way as well I always wanted to live in a different country and and have that experience of like, okay, what is it like being an immigrant? And what is it like working these like, you know, menial jobs for, you know, and it's really, I mean, my experience was so different from theirs. I'm in a country where they speak English, first of all, you know, second of all, uh, the wages here are so high. So even though I have experienced racism, discrimination, all of that in Australia, um, and they do, you know, treat backpackers here pretty poorly. But still, it's nothing, nothing compared to what my parents went through, I'm sure. But at the same time, it did give me a taste of like, wow, this really does exist. You know, like people discriminate against you just because you're a foreigner. So, yeah, crazy. Wow. Wow. That's, yeah. So I wanted to ask you about, you know, to, to your work that you started to do there in Australia, which at the end, we will talk about how you even got over there. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I wanted to ask you, is there a particular story that stands out to you of like a mujer that you worked with, a daughter of immigrants who like broke free and just like got on her own path, put herself first? Like, what was that like? Or yeah, what story maybe stands out in your work? Oh, my God, this this is a hard one, because I feel like it's it's a long journey, you know, and I think that mm-hmm. um, I saw something that said, like, you know, this this rush to heal is a trauma response. And I was like, Oh, my God, that's so true. Yeah, because when we've been traumatized, what do we want to do? We want to quickly get out of there. We're experiencing mm-hmm. a traumatic yes. event, whatever that is, we want to quickly get out of there. And so that becomes our response. And so to heal from it, and especially because it's so uncomfortable. Um, we also just want to get it over and done with. And you know, and so some people mm-hmm. ask me like, Oh, like, how long do you think this will take? How many sessions? And I'm like, Wow, that's <laughs> that's a really hard one. How do you no quantify? Idea. No idea. I said plus yeah. we've been talking for like fifteen minutes. I barely <laughs> we've barely scratched the surface of what your trauma is, so and so I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think sometimes we're in this mad rush. But I think my clients who are doing really well are the ones who've kind of accepted that this is going to be a journey. And I mean I think of it as a lifelong journey. Like I know that I'm always going to be mm-hmm. healing. Like I'm always like every day Absolutely. reflecting, learning more things about myself. And so, yeah, I mean, there can be a point in your life where you're like, yeah, my mental health is doing great. I'm going to take a break from therapy or I'm going to take a break from this. But really 
I don't know. And I think for me, it doesn't really bother me because I'm one of those lifelong learners. And so I love learning about myself and just learning about how to help clients more. And just for me, it doesn't matter if it's a lifelong journey. But I do realize like for some people, they're in this mad rush. But for my clients who are not in that mad rush and have kind of accepted like, you know, and I do have to remind them of like, you've come so far, you've made this progress, especially when they're feeling frustrated, like, oh, I gave in to, you know, to texting my mom again even though you know she's Mm -hmm. been a bit problematic and I said well you've still come a really long way like now you're not texting her every Mm -hmm. day you've set that boundary and so sometimes Mm -hmm. we have to like remind them of their wins and that that for me like yeah that's what I was getting at like yeah Yeah. what's like a win that stands out win oh my god I Mm -hmm. think anytime a client leaves an abusive relationship or sets boundaries Mm. with parents who have been manipulative or have been gaslighting them. Anytime that a client sets a boundary, I'm just, I do like a little happy dance. Like I have to try to contain Mm, it in session. (laughs) But afterwards, (laughs) it's so hard. It's so hard. And um, yeah, and so I'm always so excited whenever, and even if they go back, you know, and unfortunately, it's one mm-hmm. of those things. I work with a lot of women who sure. are in abusive relationships, even if it's emotionally mm-hmm. abusive, still abusive, right? Um, yeah. And so, yeah, they might leave and then they might go back. And and mm-hmm. I always um, am so proud of them still, even if they go back. Mm-hmm. And I just remind them, like, you know, it takes an average of seven times to leave an abusive partner. And we could think about that with, with parents. You know, it must be even harder. Mm-hmm. because yeah, yeah you you that's, love that parent. parents yeah, yeah exactly and then there's all this societal pressure as well there's societal mm-hmm. pressure for us to stay with you know the people that we marry or choose to be romantically involved with as well and to make it work there we can talk about that as well that's that's a whole other pressure mm-hmm. but even more so with their parents because everyone says that's your parents mm-hmm. you have to have a relationship with them and so anytime that a client is able to set a boundary um and, and feel better in themselves. That's that. Those are the moments that I live for. I get so excited. So even if they go back, mm-hmm. and you know, and maybe they say, "Oh yeah, I cut off contact with this person," whether it's a partner or it's a parent or whoever it is, and they're excited about that. But then they might go back to that person, or they might like let them in and you know allow a message to come in or whatever it is. But I still say like, remember like how far you've come. And remember, like, this mm-hmm. is this is a journey, like, it's not a destination. So we and it's mm-hmm. not linear, it's not going in a straight line. So you might have some setbacks, you go back a little bit. And I know it's frustrating. Some of my clients say like, Oh, but I just feel like I take one step forward and two steps back. And I'm like, it's because we have this problematic, mm-hmm. like, you know, idea that it has to be linear. Mm-hmm. And we always just have yeah. to be and, going forward. And it doesn't work. And we like also... That. Yeah, we have to also honor the cycle, like the psychological cycle of abuse, how there is like, it's very calculated, like there's the, you know, the friction, and then there's the peace and the honeymoon stage, right? And then people make up, and that's all people want is love and acceptance. So then they make up and they fall into that and they believe Mm -hmm. them, right? They want to believe good things. Mm -hmm. They want to believe this person's changed. And then there's yeah. the event again, right? So it's also, mm-hmm. there's a whole cycle. I think of it like a little, like a like a whirlpool. <laughs> you're just yeah. like, it you're going to kind of go around it yeah. until yeah. you yeah. get out. And you have to, that's why people have to like vastly do different things to get out of it. 
and you have yeah. to but that yeah. takes a while right that takes a it long takes time a while and, yeah and yeah. i just say like you're stronger I, every time yeah. that you escape the whirlpool you know exactly. even if it sucks yeah, you back exactly. in but you're stronger every time so let's still count this as a win because you know and i think smarter. my clients tell me like i i went back to him you know and they expect yeah. me to be really disappointed and i'm like i'm not disappointed at all i'm not upset i'm not sad i'm not angry like i still think yeah. that this was a huge step it was really brave of you to leave even if you go back like it you know and then we yeah we just talk about you know like yeah this is the cycle and this person is is very intelligent yeah, it's all it. very calculated mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know and also we look at like okay well what is how what about your parents you know and how does that play into it as mm-hmm. well you know maybe they didn't give you that love like they and so we explore like we look back at the past you know so that we can mm-hmm. also understand what like leading them back yes right? exactly mm-hmm. and why there's a reason you know, and why it might be harder for them versus someone who grew up in a very healthy and, and loving household where parents provided all and met all their needs, you know. And so right. yeah, we kind of explore all of that and all the different reasons why this might be really hard to actually escape. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I love celebrating those wins with clients anytime that there's any kind of boundary yes. set in place. Yeah. I love that. Small wins are big wins. Yes. That's it. Yeah, I totally agree. Because it's true. It is It is a lifelong journey. Sometimes I'm like that, you know, in my own journey. And I'm like, oh, can I just heal already? <laughs> you know, exactly. but it's like I, I'm constantly seeing things that like say like, you know what, this is you're going to have to heal times over and over again. You're going to have to heal a lot of times from certain things, like especially the deep wounds, right? The, the deep mm-hmm. trauma. You may have to heal over and over and forgive yourself over and over again. And that's okay. That's yeah. part of the journey. Part of the journey. Oh, I love that last three. Just to forgive yourself over and over again. Mm-hmm. You'll have to heal and forgive over and over. That's so true. Yeah. Girl, write a poem. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you got something there. I'm going to write a poem no, for that. Was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was a beautiful way to say it, though. Like, that's exactly it. it. It's the, it's a kid, like the hope and the faith, right? That things are going to happen and you have to trust the process is the process. And if it was as easy to get out of it, you would, right. Or any, any kind of change, like relationship, parents, a job, a toxic job, anything. Like I always tell my clients, if it was easy, you would have done it because you can, there's just like Mm -hmm. deeper stuff there that I'm glad that you reached out for help and we'll explore it together and stay curious, you know, but I always like to use psychoeducation because I feel like if I'm explaining what is happening, how their brain might be protecting them, right? Like externalizing the problem. Right. I feel like people can see it better. It's a safer place to be. I'm a big supporter of narrative therapy. And I don't know if, um, Nancy, if you ever use any elements of narrative therapy in your work, but I love how it basically just states like the problem's the problem, not the people. And, And we think about the systems are like immigrant families have to work in and how that all plays into them. It's like it separates them from their circumstance, like their character is one thing and their circumstance is another. And that's why it's like what you're saying. You can love these people, their character, or just love them as people soul to soul, but you may not agree with the circumstances that you're all in and maybe due to some of their actions or choices. Right. And I think separating that allows people to have, peace because I think that's what brings the anxiety is that torn loyalty like loyal to my sanity or loyal to this person (laughs) and Mm -hmm. I can't choose right and that there's that like do I please them but then I'm not getting my needs met 
do I get my needs met? But now I've lost this relationship and there's fear, right? especially fear of abandonment. Um, yeah, so there's so much yeah. to unpack. So yeah, I, the small wins are so good and those might happen for years. I actually tell my, sometimes people like, no, not months, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> not a year. Like it, this could be like could something be that you reheal in your twenties and then do it in your thirties and then re-understand it in your forties. Like yeah. this might something be something that is re- like just a recurring message that evolves over but time, but it gets better. Our parents don't really have any understanding of mental health. It's a new concept for I them. Know. And therapy yeah. is a new concept for them. And then I think there's this idea, I think in our society too, that therapy should not go on for years, that it shouldn't last that long, you know? And so I think even if we mm-hmm. do have parents who have kind of understood like, okay, maybe maybe our daughter needs to go to therapy. But mm-hmm. you know, I have, I have one client right now that she um, just emailed me and she said, well, you know, I have to ask my mom, you know, if, if I can go back to therapy because I've already been in therapy for a few months. And, oh, man, wow. this girl has, this girl has mm-hmm. some serious trauma that I'm like, it's just not realistic to try to process yeah. all of that in in a few months. But I think, you know, there's this right. guilt, right, of like, you know, well, yeah. I'm, I'm – I'm a student and they're already paying so much for me to go to, go to university. And, and now, and they're paying my, my housing as well. And they're paying for my food and, and I don't want them to spend that much more on therapy. Like I feel like I should, you know, be healed already. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's, it's really, especially when our parents don't really understand and, you know, and they're getting there. Like she's, I've helped her, you know, guide her through some conversations with their parents and they, they're supportive and they understand and they know that that's why she actually had to take a break from university for a while, mm. go back home, be in therapy. But now she's back and they just kind of expect like her to just be successful. Like, okay, you've been in therapy now. So now go get in, You're go good. get that degree. You're good to go. Yeah. 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 And really I'm like, we like barely scratched the surface. Exactly. Yeah. That's, we're that's not like, oh, thing. no, I can't go to the doctor. I had a cold when I was five, you know, yeah. I, and then again, seven. So like, I can't go to the doctor that's again, true. right? Like, yeah. yeah, we don't do that when it comes to medical care, yeah. you know, or recurring cancer. Are you kidding? Like, oh, no, I already went once, right, for treatment. Like, I can't get cancer again and go back again, right? Because there's, yeah. there's certain conditions that are chronic or recurring and we go back every single time to the doctors because it's serious, right? Like that's something we need to take care of. But mental yeah. health, you can see it the same way. Like you can need therapy for something and then you can go years and then need it again and go months and then need it again, right? Mm-hmm. Like I remember yeah. seeing a therapist for something work-related. And then as soon as we were ending, I had a tragedy in my family. And then I was like, I need to see you still. So like I saw her for something else back to back. And, you know, and then like years before that, I saw someone right around the time of ending grad school because they have you do therapy, but also um, it was good to do at the time. Yeah. No, this was in grad school. Oh, God, it was years ago. But, you know, years before I had seen somebody and it was helpful. So I just feel like you could see your therapist your whole entire life, like intermittently, yeah. just like you see a doctor. I don't see the difference. Exactly. I don't think that you're not like crazy. I don't think that you're out of control. I just think you're taking care of your mental health, just it's like preventative. You're taking care of your teeth, right? Yeah, yeah. and your yeah. health. Yeah, exactly. It's preventative work for sure. Um, I feel like if you don't, it will come out in other ways, right? Like that's how we can have substance use. 
um, disorders or right fall into suicidal thoughts and ideation. So like, I do think therapy is like, right. It's just like letting the pressure out little by little. Mm -hmm. So that balloon never like grows and then pops. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But we do have to acknowledge that it might take a little bit of time for our immigrant parents to kind of get used to that idea. And it might take more than one, two, or even three conversations with them. Even like with my parents, like I, you know, have to have that conversation over and over again, especially because my little sister was diagnosed with anxiety a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And so I said, okay, like this is going to be something she's going to struggle with kind of always, you know, and she's always Mm -hmm. going to have to learn to have tools in place and we're always going to maybe have to accommodate for her and and think of her in other ways and you know advocate for her in her schools and things like that I said it's it's really a lifelong thing and so yeah I think it's good to have her in therapy now but also you know and then when the pandemic happened Mm -hmm. I said oh well maybe it's good if she takes a break from therapy right now because she's not really in school where she has the most anxiety anyway. And I said, but right now mm-hmm. is when it could be preventative as well, you know, and she yeah. could be learning the the coping skills that she's going to need when things go back to in-person. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think we also have this idea of you only go to therapy when things are really bad, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we don't think of it as something that could be preventative. And so, yeah, there's a lot of different, I'm glad that we're having this conversation. It's so needed, but yeah, I think it needs to be Mm -hmm. had in a lot more circles as well. And, you know, we keep doing this work, spreading the message because it is so important to kind of debunk all these myths about mental health and about therapy. And yeah, it's a a journey Mm -hmm. (laughs) for us. Yeah. And the, you know, the instant gratification that we usually Mm -hmm. want, especially now, nowadays, you know, where everything's so readily available in our hands, um, Mm -hmm. on our phone, but you have to sit with that, you know, with that discomfort, Mm -hmm. with that pain, I think to really heal from it and try to, try to move forward. Right. But again, you can go back to those things. So I think having, like you said, you know, our parents, you're mentioning Nancy that, you know, our parents don't necessarily understand that. And even us as educated women and people who are educated, Mm -hmm. um, even even then, you know, I have friends that are like, oh, yeah, I did therapy. I did a couple times. I got a couple good tools. But I'm like, but, you know, like that's you got to keep doing the work. Right. Because I think also a part of therapy for me has been someone to help keep me accountable to doing the work and putting mm-hmm. these tools into practice, because mm-hmm. that's the hard part. Right. When it, when you're in the middle of of an event or something, a trigger you forget all those things that like goes out the window. So that's when you got to like really work on practicing that. That's where that, that growth happens, you know? Mm-hmm. Exactly. I love that. Well, we want to also ask you because, um, you know, I've got to fit this into the episode. <laughs> I know that you're meeting us. This is, you are meeting us when it is tomorrow morning. You're and in the we are future, meeting. girl. Yeah, you are <laughs> like the in the future. future because you are in Australia. Yes. So Nancy, yes. I've just been dying to know this. <laughs> but how did you how did your journey lead you to Australia? And then how's it been like living there as a Latina? Which I was like, woohoo, Latinas in Australia represent. Yes. That's some true representing right there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Latinas, <girl. laughs> Latinas who travel, first gen Latinas mm-hmm. who travel, who live abroad, who are doing the the nomad thing because 
yeah, That's I'm a awesome. nomad as well. I don't uh, have a home base. I technically own a property in Phoenix, but I live nomadically. I haven't been there in a few years. Live nomadically, yeah. have been traveling all around Australia this past year. Now I'm in Fremantle in Western Australia. I started my journey in Sydney last year and just went all around the entire country, went down the middle, back up the top, and now I'm oh here gosh. on the West Coast. Yes, so I, I take my clients with me everywhere, <laughs> we say. My clients I are all it. over all over the world. I have clients in Europe, I have clients in Asia, here in Australia, in the U.S. Uh, my clients are everywhere, I'm everywhere. Um, now that the pandemic has kind of died down a little bit, I'm, you know, I'm going to Hawaii in three weeks, and after that I think I'll live in Mexico for a while, and then maybe Portugal and Thailand. Those are the kind of locations I'm thinking about, but man, this journey, how did it start? It started so randomly as well. I feel like <laughs> that's all of my stories so randomly. Random, but maybe not so <laughs> random. Maybe this is just has been your path. You know? Yeah, this it's has been my be. path for sure. It was meant to be. Um, no, but I think, yeah, three and a half years ago, uh, yeah, I had graduated and I actually started working uh, in a nonprofit uh, domestic violence center, actually. And I actually got laid off due to budget cuts. And then around the same time, um, my ex and I ended things. And so at that time, my friend had just come back from a trip to New Zealand where she had met some backpackers who told her about this working holiday visa that Americans could easily get. Uh, and you could apply for it in New Zealand or in Australia. And so she said, I'm going to Australia for a year. Do you want to come? And I remember that when she told me that, like even a month before, I was like, no, no, I have a partner. We're probably going to get married. It's going to be great. I'm just going to like settle down of kids, like, you know, do, do the normal thing. And, you know, I'm starting my career. I just graduated. Like, no, things are, I'm just going to stay here. I'll probably visit you for a few weeks, but then I'll come back. And then, yeah, I think I got laid off, ended things with my ex. And I was just like, wow, it's now or never. Like nothing's holding me back now. I'm feeling really burned out. I've always wanted to live abroad. Here I have this friend who's who's going over there. And so I just thought like, okay. That so I had a conversation with myself and I was like, okay, this friend, um, I was like, she, she gets easily distracted. She's kind of like, Oh, squirrel. And then, and then she'll go and chase the squirrel. <laughs> and that's what happened. She met a guy and, and left to Melbourne, you know? So before I even like said, let's do it. I had to have the conversation with myself. Like I will end up as a solo traveler. I've never done any solo travel before, never gone on any kind of trip by myself before. So I was like, can you do this? This is scary. Like no one that you know has ever done this, you know, like first gen Latinas, we don't really yeah. do crazy things like this. So I was like, okay, can yeah. I do it? Can I be on my own in a new country? Can I do it? And I was like, okay, si se puede. Yes, I can. And so yeah, I came here. <laughs> she lasted three mm -hmm. months with me and then met a guy and, and left. Um, and then I was on my own since then. So, yeah. And I just, uh, and about a year ago, I started, um, I set up my private practice, set it up so it's fully virtual. I see clients over Zoom. Mm -hmm. I love it. I can work with clients even in tiny little islands like Palau. I had never even heard of this mm -hmm. island, you know, but it's a tiny That's remote awesome. island where they don't have mental health professionals at all. So I was like, mm -hmm. I love that I can just see clients from anywhere, um, anywhere that they are. and yeah, just make it work. And so, yeah, so I think last year in June, oh my God, yeah, it's almost been a year. Last year in June, I left Sydney. No, sorry, in May, May 1st. Oh my God, it's been a year. Ooh, yay me. Wow. So it's been, it's been a year since I've been nomadic. So yeah, May 1st, I left um, 
yeah, because June, June was when they went into lockdown. So I escaped that. <laughs> I was going to leave in June. And then I decided like, you know what, like, let's just do it. I feel like it's getting too cold for me here. I'm just going to go now. So I left May 1st. And yeah, just have been traveling all around Australia. And yeah, it's been pretty amazing. I've met so many different people in my travels. Awesome. Sometimes I meet with people like this over Zoom. And then throughout my travels, I happen to end up in whatever city they're living in. And then we meet up mm -hmm. and yeah, but I also oh, meet people awesome. just randomly at the barbecues. I lived in a camper van yeah. for two weeks. Um, yeah, I've been traveling without a, owning a car as well. So, yeah, I have to talk to people even more. You know, sometimes I catch rides right. with people or meet up with people, do different yeah. tours, different things. And, yeah, but it's definitely like I'm a completely different person now because I used to, you know, when I was in – in primary school, I used to like win awards, you know, for like being the shy queen or the the quiet one or, you know, whatever. Like I used to be so introverted and now it's like I just talk to anyone and everyone, <laughs> you know, awesome. especially as I'm moving around, like I'm always making friends and meeting people. And so, yeah, and if I need to find yeah. accommodation or the local grocery store or whatever it is, you know, or introduce myself to people like, hey, I'm a therapist for women of color and, you know, just always talking to people, always, you know, doing the most. And yeah. but yeah, it's been it's pretty, living pretty your best amazing. life. Living my yes. best life. Yeah. Real I woke up this morning. Going on it. Yeah, walked to the beach, <laughs> did my yoga. Yeah, my life is completely different. Uh, so we are living yeah. through you. <laughs> I know. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I know, Maestrea. Let's go. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna come visit you, Nancy. Yeah, you <laughs> should. You definitely should. Open invitation. Actually, I was just chatting with a colleague um two days ago. And yeah, I was like, Oh yeah, I'm gonna go to Exmouth. I think when I come back from Hawaii, there's this Ningaloo reef. It's amazing, and you could just like step right onto the beach and then you put your face in the water, you're snorkeling with like the most most amazing marine life I said I'm gonna go there in June you should come visit me and so she actually was like okay what airport <laughs> like send me the details I might go because I've been wanting yes. to go to Australia and I said come come visit me I'm like now the borders are open they just opened this year um in March I think and I said now the borders are open everyone come visit me like <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's so yeah. great. I love meeting people awesome. like this. Like you meet over Zoom, but then all of a sudden it's an in real life meetup and it's amazing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I have another friend from the US that I actually met in Australia. She's half American, half Australian. And um, I met her up up north in northern Australia. But she's going to come visit me in June as well. And we're going to wow. do XMath together. So hey, you just meet people randomly. And then all of a sudden you're meeting up again. I said, I haven't seen you in like three years. Yeah. You want to come over here? She said, yeah, yeah, I'm going to come to Australia anyway. I'll just fly down to Perth. And yeah, we'll road trip up to XMath. I was like, let's do it. I love that. I love spontaneous people who are just like, okay, oh, it's booked. That. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> Living your life to the fullest. Definitely. That's it. Awesome. Spontaneous. Well, Love it. Big yeah, props. Yeah, I've that's amazing. You are living your life, you know, and yeah. I feel like I hope that it's inspiring to the listeners and um your story's inspiring. Yeah. Keep sharing it because I, I do feel like I hear self care like just all through that, right? Just this yeah. theme yeah. about self care, mm -hmm. putting yourself first. But then through that you serve people so well and so effectively. Yeah. And then ironically, you actually become super like effective and useful and productive, all the things, yeah. but first yeah. it has to be you, right? Yeah. And then look exactly. at this wonderful work you're still able to do. I love it. Thank yeah. you so much, Nancy. So um, I'm speaking of the work that you're doing, um, what's coming up next for you? What would you like our listeners to know? 
about your work and any websites or yeah, Instagram that they can follow. Yeah. So I mentioned before that I decided to host a workshop called Soul Care versus Self Care because, yeah, that's been such a big part of my journey is healing my relationship with self care and kind of looking at it in a different way that I just thought I want to be able to share this knowledge with other people and offer it at a low cost because I think, yeah, there are some people who honestly cannot afford and are struggling to put food on the table or whatever it is. So I said, Okay, introductory for 35 US dollars. I'm going to offer a one hour workshop where I can kind of help you heal that relationship with self care and help you through journal prompts, through meditation, and through a bit of brain spotting, learn to kind of heal that relationship with self care, learn to think about it differently, and just kind of gather and gain the tools that you need so that you can live life more on your terms and start prioritizing your needs, your mental health, and your own self-care first. And just think about it differently because, yeah, it does need to be something that mm-hmm. replenishes you, that is nourishing, something that's sustainable, something that doesn't feel forced. And so those are the things that we're going to talk mm-hmm. about in this workshop. And so, yeah, so this is my way of kind of giving back to the comunidad. It's just something low cost that hopefully is within your budget. And if not, just talk to me. But, yes, I definitely want to have this as something that if you can't afford therapy right now, then definitely sign up for this workshop. And if you have been thinking and looking for a therapist, then definitely email me as well. I'm kind of everywhere. You can find me under the handle at Global Citizen Therapy on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, all of that. My website is globalcitizentherapy.com. So pretty easy. Email info at globalcitizentherapy.com. Easy to remember. Uh, And you kind of remember Mm -hmm. me. I'm in Australia. I'm Mexican-American, but I'm in Australia, going to be in Hawaii, going to be in Mexico. <laughs> I'm definitely a global citizen. You We're are a cultural. Citizen, I was girl. like, I never, I never fit in. I'm not Mexican enough when I go to Mexico. I'm not American enough, you know. So I said, I'm just a global mm-hmm. citizen. So that's that's where the name comes from. I love so. that. Our <laughs> yes. global citizen Latina right here. Yes, yes, yes. So, yes. Representing for all of us. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, thank you so much for having mm-hmm. me. This has been amazing. And so good to kind of yeah. chat with two people who who get it because yeah, it's, it's sometimes hard to find. Australia is very white, <laughs> so yeah. Anytime I have a chance to connect with other Latinas, yeah, first gen, I love it. I'm here for it. Yeah, have yeah. you found comunidad in Australia? A bit, but I always say like it's it's a bit different connecting with Latinas here because they're usually mm-hmm. South American. Um, there's very few Mexicans here, even fewer Mexican-Americans. Anytime I meet a Mexican-American, I'm like, oh, my God, this is so exciting. Mm-hmm. You know, in like three years, I met like three. <laughs> so, yeah, but there are a few here in Perth. I actually hosted like um, a little Mexican like carne asada, um, what, like two weeks ago. Yeah. And I posted in the group. There's a group called Americans in Perth on Facebook. And I posted on there and I was like, oh. are there any other Mexican-Americans? Do you want to meet up? I'm making a carne asada. <laughs> and so right. I if you came, yeah so yeah it was really good yeah but it's it has been a little bit hard because I move around so much but at the same time like yeah I'm mm-hmm. always meeting other people and yeah Latinas Latinos virtual community or, or non there's virtual yeah. community I have a lot of virtual community as well yes I meet up with other digital it. nomads probably at least once twice sometimes three or four times a week we co-work together, mm-hmm. we work on our businesses, we talk about travel, yeah. So, yeah, I have community that looks a bit different now, but, yeah, 
build here. That's awesome. Still important. Still love it. Yeah. Thank you for representing the nomad community. I love yes, that. Or like representing, you know, your culture mm-hmm. in yes. the nomad community. Because we, I mean, that's just a radical form of self-care, even just to choose that. Like yeah. what exactly what you were saying earlier about like, the pressure to work and have these dedicated careers and all these things. And it's like, mm-hmm. I just want to settle listeners- down, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, settle plant, down. plant roots, mm-hmm. you know, all exactly. Of that. So- plant your roots. That's it. That's like how you know you're winning. Buy a house, own property, right? All these things oh, that we're told. We're told mm-hmm. that. And see, I had that because I bought a property, like I said, in Phoenix. I bought my dream car mm-hmm. after I graduated. You know, I had a partner I thought I was going to marry. And I just thought, like, Okay, I had just started my career. I thought like, okay, I have all of the things, you know, and mm-hmm. I'm still not happy. I'm super burned out. Like I'm just, I, I feel like there's got to be more to life than this. I said, because I'm checking all of yeah. these boxes and I'm still not happy. You know, there's got to be mm-hmm. more. And then I, I think I had always had this dream of traveling and I it had just like, we really always put our needs before others that it had just like gotten deep buried so far down that I had completely forgotten about it and it wasn't until maybe like a year ago that I actually had a friend from middle school reach out to me she found me on Instagram and she's like wow I just saw your Instagram like you're really traveling everywhere like you're you're living the dream I remember you know we were in like sixth grade Mm -hmm. and you said that you wanted to travel the world and I was like really I don't remember that I don't remember that. I was like, that's insane. I was like, that dream had been buried, you know, and I had to like resurrect it and be like, okay, no, this is what I'm doing. (laughs) Oh my my gosh, you lit your flame back. Yeah. 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 I was like, wow, thank you for reminding me of that because I I don't remember that. Yeah. Yes. That's awesome, Nancy. You are, um, you are a badass. You're brave for doing, you know, for, for just picking up and going all the way across the world, down under. <laughs> don't judge. Don't judge my uh, <laughs> my accent. Yeah, but that's it. awesome, though. <laughs> yes. Just just doing what what's what's making you happy and bringing you joy. That alone is doing so much for for your mental health and your healing journey. So 100%. congratulations for that, Nancy. And thank you so much for, for joining us today. Um, okay, gente, as we wrap up another episode, I just want to say thank you to our very special guest, Nancy, for sharing just a little bit about your journey here with us and with our listeners. I think it's amazing. And I hope, um, like La Sirena said, it really inspires you know other Latinos who never thought that traveling the world was a possibility. And I think mm-hmm. it's amazing that you're just writing your own rules and as you go along and, and figuring things out as you go along. And I think that's amazing. Yeah. And your work yeah. with Daughters of Immigrants is really significant. So thank you for that work. Thank you. Thank you for letting me share my story. Yes, I love the work that I do with Daughters of Immigrants. And if anyone is looking for a Latina therapist who works with Daughters of Immigrants, please reach out. Easy to find, Global Citizen Therapy. Mm-hmm. And I'm passionate about the work that I do. I know that it's needed. So yeah, happy to help in any way I can. Thank you. Yeah. Well, we will all be following you now and living our lives through your posts. So yes. <laughs> make sure to post Amazing. pictures. Yes, I will. All right, okay. head there. Well, thanks for listening today and we will see you next time. Adios. Adios. <laughs>